Our topic for the morning is competing voices, with our text coming from the 12th chapter of Genesis, that call to Abram, which is found in the first several verses of the 12th chapter. I invite you to listen for the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarah and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negeb. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In our scripture this morning, God speaks to Abram and Sarah, telling them to go to a place he would show them. Go from your country, God tells Abram. And as the passage also indicates, they heed God's voice and leave their home. And the chapters that follow chronicle Abram and Sarah's journey. Many of you have moved from one place to another in the course of your lifetime, from one house to another, from one town to another, from one state to another, perhaps even to another country. Undoubtedly, the biggest move I and my family have made took place 28 years ago when Teresa, Richard, who was nine at the time, and I packed up our belongings, had a huge yard sale, and set off for Paris, where I was to serve as the associate pastor at the American church there. Like Abram of old, heeding God's call, we left our families and the familiarity of our native land to go to a foreign country where they don't even speak English. We were excited, yes, but apprehensive. Are we doing the right thing for Richard? How will he adjust to school, especially not knowing French? Will we be able to find a position when we are ready to come back? Now relax, before I get totally carried away, and more importantly, before you think I'm really serious in comparing our situation with the choice faced by Abram and Sarah, let's be real, the road to Paris has been traveled many times, lots of times, by lots of folks who have made their way across the Atlantic to settle in another country. We were by no means pioneers. 
And to be honest, even if God had written across the sky, Rick, Teresa, and Richard, do not go to Paris. You have important work to do here. I'm sure I would have rationalized in some way, figured out a way to rationalize that God must be talking to some other family who happened to have the same names and who must also be considering going to Paris. In other words, I wanted to go to Paris. Well, was that God's voice I heard or my own desire? It surely would be nice, wouldn't it, like Abram and so many of his Old Testament buddies to have direct conversation with the Almighty. It surely would make things easier, would it not, when facing tough decisions to have a direct word from God. As Woody Allen quipped, if only God would give me a clear signal, like making a large deposit in my name in a Swiss bank. Is God silent these days? And the stories of the Bible simply that, stories kind of like the Greek and Roman myths? Or does God speak today and we're just not listening? You know, there are those who speak of God as if they have a regular, something similar to a phone chat with Him. The Lord asked me to give me you a call. The Lord told me to buy this stock. The Lord directed me to come here on vacation, and now I know why. But I don't particularly relate to that type of experience, and I dare say the majority of you here do not either. Writing about vocation, Frederick Beekner shares there are all kinds of voices calling you to all different kinds of work. And the problem is to find out which is the voice of God rather than of society, say, or the superego or self-interest. Yes, there are all kinds of voices. Was it God's voice I heard telling me to go, go to Paris or simply my own desire for cheese, baguettes, wine, and a certain joie de vivre. In a few moments, we're going to be recognizing our graduating high school seniors, many of whom, I think all of whom, are going off to college. And in the process of choosing where to go, decisions had to be made. And often this decision isn't clear-cut or obvious. Now, If you apply to a half dozen schools and only get in one, the decision isn't too difficult. Or perhaps a decision is made for you based on finances or other factors. But what about when you're accepted at all or most of the colleges, the schools that you have applied to, and you're really torn about which school to select? Wouldn't it be nice of God to simply tell you what you should do? Wouldn't it be Nice to hear God's voice clearly, distinctly, unmistakably. And you could recognize that it was God speaking. Many of you are familiar with the author and columnist Peggy Noonan. Some time ago, she wrote an article that was published in the Wall Street Journal entitled, The Culture of Death. In it, Miss Noonan compares the culture in which our youth and children are raised to a fish in an ocean. Think of it this way, she writes, your child is an intelligent little fish. He or she swims in deep water, waves of sound and sight, of thought and fact come invisibly through that water, like radar. They go through him or her again and again from this direction and that. 
The sound from the television is a wave. The headlines on the newsstand, the sound from the radio, magazines, online, on the ad on the bus as it whizzes, whizzes by, all are waves. That, and the fish, your child, is bombarded with all these messages and hardly even knows it. But the, but the words contain, the waves contain words which, she says, I'll limit to only one source, the news. And then she goes on to, to just kind of list some of those messages that come through, like, was found strangled and is believed to have been molested, had her breast implants removed, took the stand to say the killer was smiling the day the show aired, said the procedure is, in fact, legal infanticide, is thought, is thought to be connected to early, earlier sexual activity among teens, court battle over who owns the frozen sperm, contains songs that call for dominating and even imprisoning women had threatened to kill her children, protested the game which they said had gone beyond violence to sadism. This is the ocean, she says, in which we and our children swim. This is the sound of our culture. Friends, that's the ocean in which God's voice is also swimming. Those are the sounds with which the voice of God must compete. And today, with so much information right at our fingertips, so much stuff vying for our attention, to hear God, you've really got to want to hear God, to be able to pick up God's wavelength when swimming in the deep. You've got to be tuned in to God's frequency. But how do you do that? How do you set your dial to God so that God's voice can be heard amongst all the stuff? Three suggestions, simple ones really, none of which will come as a surprise to you. First, it's this thing, it's Scripture. Have an ongoing conversation with Scripture. Immerse yourself in this book. You see, through an ongoing conversation with the Bible, with God's activity throughout history, we are confronted with the challenges of living a life pleasing to God. Secondly, set aside time for prayer and meditation, time to allow God through the Spirit to speak to you, to refresh your spirit, to renew your soul. So many of us think that prayer is by definition a verbal, language-based conversation, one way at that between the prayer and God. We need quiet time, friends, to just be, to let God act on us. Make sure you spend time in the out of doors, in nature. Feel the grass between your toes. When was the last time you walked barefooted in the grass and absorbed the power of Mother Earth? There's a whole part of the Bible, of the New Testament, of Jesus' life, of, of, of withdrawing to a lonely place apart, at which time his soul, his psyche, was refueled so that he could hear God's voice amongst the competing voices of his time. And finally, have ongoing contact with fellow Christians. Relationships with others who are traveling the same road you are traveling is essential. 
They provide opportunities for accountability, for mutual encouragement, for intimacy, which each of us need in measurable doses. Somebody once asked a wise rabbi, how do you find faith? And the rabbi answered, go be amongst people of faith. Scripture, prayer and meditation, the community of faith. These components are basic and fundamental. They put you in a position to discern God's voice. A life which includes time for these three components leads to a life where when decisions are made, when advice is given, one can be confident that decisions made and the advice given are at the least informed by the Holy Spirit. In this way, God is speaking. God is speaking to you because you are showing time for God's voice to be heard. You are creating the environment wherein there is space for the divine. And friends, in today's culture, if space is not created intentionally by you, the voices of culture will devour you, leaving you feeling unwanted, unloved, inadequate, unneeded, hopeless. We have incredible power at our fingertips. We have amassed incredible wealth. We have unparalleled opportunities for leisure and recreation. We have probed the secrets of the atom and broken down the human body into component parts with the underlying assumption that along with these things would come meaning and fulfillment in life. But just the opposite has occurred, especially in our country, as a great poverty of spirit grips us. We have it all and it leaves us empty. We've loved other things than God, and we're spiritually impoverished. The good news is that there is in this country, in this community, an intense hunger for matters of the Spirit. More and more people are looking for an experience that will put them in touch with the mystery of the divine, an experience that will fill their lives with hope and joy and meaning. If it's a deposit at a Swiss bank you're looking for, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if it's an experience with the living God which feeds the deep longings of the soul, God's ready to talk. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Engage in a life of prayer and meditation. Associate with other Christians. Then not only do you increase the chances of hearing God's voice when swimming in the deep, but God will be heard through you. God will be seen in you. And that's when you become what God promised Abram he would become, a blessing to others. Let us pray. Loving and giving Lord, you have made us to know you, to love you, and to serve you, and thereby to find and to fulfill our deepest longings. Open our hearts and enlighten our minds that we might embrace the reality that our hearts will always be restless until they find their rest in you. Amen.